You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Big news. Tomorrow is the day. Well, okay, so tomorrow in real life is the day that I get my vaccine. By the time this airs, I will have had the second dose shot directly into my left arm. Shout out to Chelsea. I already had my second dose, not to brag, but I hit the two-week mark afterwards. Um, yes, I am the last one. Yeah, the last of the one group, of friend the friend group. group. Yeah, trudging yes. up the rear here. <laughs> not of the world. Um, but we are recording on a Wednesday instead of a Thursday because of that, just in case Chelsea doesn't feel well after her vaccine. So if we're off, that's why. We normally don't record on a hump day. We don't. We, we don't like to have humps on the days that we talk about crosswords. Exactly. I'm going to be exhausted tonight. Um, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> this is Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm Grace Topenka. And I'm Chelsea Rowan. You're listening to your favorite weekly podword crosscast. Uh, we're happy to be here. We are. And because we're filming on a recording on Wednesday and filming, I had to do our poll on Tuesday. So I hope that didn't throw too many of our <laughs> Twitter followers off. Ooh. But I don't think it did because we actually, this is, this is the biggest voter turnout we've had for one of our polls, I believe. It got heated and not like heated. We didn't have like a lot of discussion in the comments, but we did have one. It was one comment. <laughs> follower. Yeah, one comment, which is a big deal for us. Okay. Um, asked the hard hitting question. Um, but I will let Grace talk about that. Um, are we heading into Polapalooza this quickly? Let's do it. Yeah. So we asked, what are you ordering in your po' boy? And the Ooh. options were roast beef, which I learned is the traditional one, mm-hmm. fried shrimp, french fries, or ham and cheese. And uh, with 75% of the votes, fried shrimp took the lead. And then 15% said roast beef. And then third place tied with 5% each, french fries and ham and cheese. Ooh. And... Uh, Jesse commented saying, how's this even a question? Because when the poll first came out, everyone voted for fried shrimp. And I said, I agree with you, but someone has to be ordering these other flavors or fillings or kinds. Um, (laughs) And I was right. Some other people did choose the other ones. It's true. I was looking at pictures of the roast beef sandwich. And honestly, it looked too close to a sloppy joe, which we talked a little bit about last episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it tastes amazing. But in terms of visual appeal, the sh- fried shrimp po' boy is for sure the optimal looking po' boy in my personal yeah. and humble opinion. I actually think my fried shrimp is also my choice, but my second choice would be French fries because mm-hmm. when I have been in, I this is like a British thing, so any of our British followers, uh, <laughs> hopefully this is actually a thing, but it's called Chip Buddies, B-U-T-T-Y, and I've seen it in hostels and stuff where British people are like, you know, working at the hostels and it's basically buttered white bread with French fries. It's a French fry sandwich. Mm, and it's so good. Amazing. It sounds like kind of really bland, but somehow it's it just good. pulls it off. There's, I mean, there's plenty of like a uh, hoagie or like sandwich hero type shops that have some sort of French fry element in their sub. Um, mm-hmm. There's a place in New Jersey that does it. Um, they just put like French fries in with like, you can either just get like a French fry sub or you can get it with um, like buffalo chicken, something like that. Ooh. And then when they cut through it, you got the French fries in there already, man. It's got all the fixins. You just, you're eating like five different parts of a meal in one bite. 
It's amazing. Yeah, why have french fries on the side when you can just have it as part of the main meal? I love to put french fries on a burger. I remember when I was studying abroad in Spain, me and my American friend and our, our friend who actually lived in Spain, we all went out to a burger place and me and the American both started putting french fries on our burger and our Spanish friend was like, what the hell are you guys <laughs> doing? He was like so appalled that we were doing that. Oh. Um, but yeah, it just makes it so much better in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. I do love french fries on the side. I'm not going to say that I don't. I'm a big french fry connoisseur. Mm-hmm. I tend to actually want to go to restaurants specifically for their french fries. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have a good fry, then I'm less inclined to be like revisiting your restaurant, sadly. Yeah. What is your favorite fry? I knew you were going to ask. Gosh, I don't, I really don't know. Um, I mean, like classic. I love a McDonald's fry. There's I was just something say, classic. about it. They're crisp. Ooh, especially but... fresh out the fryer, man. Okay. Even if you let it sit on the, the, the counter for like longer than 20 minutes then i then i kind of get a little a little uh okay not the mcdonald's fries but those fresh warm thin cigarette stick french fries from mcdonald's they just hit different and now that i'm a vegetarian and i don't have an excuse to order like chicken nuggets at midnight from mcdonald's mm-hmm. i will order two large french fries and two chocolate milkshakes just so i don't feel guilty for ordering mcdonald's just for the french fries <laughs> That that checks out to me. Mm. I feel like, thank God I don't have a car and drive in a place that has a lot of fast food places because I would, every day I'd be like, oh, French fries and a Coke? That sounds good. I have no Grace, we would be in so much trouble. I mean, Grace and I had like a, a girl date once and it was like, rent a zip car. And we were like, oh my God, we can go through like a drive through if we want to. Let's do this. It was I, a big I, deal for us. But I do was. hate the term girl date. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. I don't know why I said girl date. I've literally never said that ever I know, it in my life. It doesn't seem like something that you would say. But, you know, sometimes when you're on mic, just things come <laughs> pouring out of you and you can't stop it. This is who I really am, apparently. Okay. I, I won't hold it against you. Thank you. Um, so speaking of girl dates. Mm-hmm. I really don't have a segue, but I'm going to use this to segue us into our very next segment, which is hits and shits. Okay. <laughs> I was like, speaking of, oh, what happened? <laughs> it's hits and shits, which is exciting too. Yes. Uh, let's let's get to it. What do you got for me? Well, I have one that a shout out to one of your uh, prior topics from okay. the May 5th USA Today crossword by Zosheen Bernikel. 58 down, clock setting, not observed observed by clock setting not observed by the virgin islands abbreviation dst DST. okay Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah not everybody in the world follows daylight saving time for a good reason if you just check out that episode i don't have the number on hand (laughs) very nice um i did the friday new york times april 30th by kate hawkins Mm -hmm. and i just want to say it's rare, if ever, it's like extremely rare that I will finish a Friday or Saturday and sometimes even Thursday puzzle without having to look up at least one or a handful of clues, mm-hmm. which I'm fine with admitting that. But you know what happens when I do complete a Friday puzzle all the way through without checking it, without having to look anything up, I feel like the ultimate freaking genius you're and a I brainiac also, i'm so smart and i also feel like it just reinforces that 
not every single puzzle is made for every single person. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I flew through the Friday puzzle by Kate Hawkins from the 30th. And like I said, there's other puzzles where I literally can't get through them without having to look something up. And I think there's a lot of people that are afraid to start crosswording because they just don't think that puzzling is for them. Um, Mm -hmm. But there are some puzzles out there that are made for you specifically listeners. So I would definitely just give it a try. Um, It just reaffirmed that I can be smart sometimes or I can yes you know well so. I don't even think it's a matter of being smart it's just like different people have different pools of trivia that they mm-hmm. know about like just because you can't name every actor from like a 1950s western doesn't mean that you know you can't name every Grammy award winner from this year you know, right it's just different exactly funny you should say that because I just saw a TikTok today that it's like me every time I go to trivia thinking like this is the type of trivia that they're going to ask and it's like what two One Directions members share the same middle name and the girl's like immediately gets the answer and then like what trivia actually is like which element is blah 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 from you know and you're like huh so Mm -hmm. yeah you just you just never know what you're going to run into in a crossword anyway it was a good puzzle I was proud of myself um I just want to point out some of the clues that I liked 18 across, one who might reply to thank you with no wuckas. And the answer was Australian. No. (laughs) So should I start saying no wuckas to literally everything? Probably. Okay, cool. Uh, 27 across, one's getting you down, question mark. I don't know. Geese. Oh. Very nice. Cute. 53 across, I would say this takes the cake for the best clue and answer of the week appropriate name for that woman's husband question mark what her man or herman (laughs) oh (laughs) that's cute (laughs) oh yes and then 14 down this is just funny it's a good uh clue for such a simple answer bad button to hit by accident and the answer was send that is like my worst nightmare yeah at least on gmail you can unsend like you have 30 seconds to do it right on outlook which is what we use for work no can do text messages no can do sometimes i will literally construct text messages in notes and read it a million times before i send it (laughs) but that's my anxiety so (laughs) i think a lot of people do that so okay cool 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 well speaking of like looking things up um this is like a hit learn something new from the monday may 3rd new yorker by anna Schechtman. 50 across, it includes an egg, a shank bone, and, per a modern tradition, an orange. And the answer is Seder plate. And I know what a Seder plate is, but I didn't know what the, you know, new orange tradition was. So mm. this is, I, I'm, I'm not Jewish, so I'm not an expert here, but I'm, this is what I found online. Quote, Seder is a ritual feast that marks the beginning of the Jewish holiday of Passover. End quote. So the Seder plate basically includes different food that each symbolize an aspect of Passover. For example, bitter herbs represent the bitterness of slavery, and an egg represents spring and the circle of life, etc. But like the clue mentioned, per modern tradition, an orange is now included. So according to an article by Rabbi Victor S. Appel on reformjudaism.com, this tradition was introduced by Professor Susanna Heschel. Quote, Heschel included an orange in recognition of gay and lesbian Jews and others who are marginalized in the Jewish community. In her ritual, each person takes a segment of the orange and before eating it says a blessing over the fruit. The seeds are spit out as a rejection of homophobia. Yo, I love that. That's amazing and beautiful. Very cool. I love learning new things through the crosswords. 
Yes, exactly. And this was just a really, I really love the two New Yorker crosswords I did this week. So my Mm -hmm. other favorites from that crossword were 64 across advertising maxim dot 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 or maxim maxim question mark. And it was sex sells. That was one of my hits too. Very good. Mm -hmm. And then you probably got this too, 15 across snide remark from a Gen Zer maybe. And it was okay, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer, which is a great song courtesy of TikTok. Um, and yeah oh i also like the opener for that one one across canon of sisterhood question mark and it's girl code oh yes 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 maybe that's why because i had this on my list as well maybe that's why i was thinking girl date i don't know (laughs) it was new yorkers got me all effed up (laughs) (laughs) um and then i have to reveal something about myself from the anna Schechtman puzzle what um 20 down either star of 1995's it takes two the answer Mm -hmm. was Olsen, and I had the O and the L in. And for the life of me, I was like, I don't know what this movie is. I don't know who this answer is. And and then finally, like, we got all the rest of the the letters by filling in the acrosses. And I was like, Grace would be so disappointed if she knew this about me. And then the Olsen twins appeared in a different puzzle later in, like, maybe one of the New York Times. And I was just like, Chelsea, pull yourself together. Pull yourself together. You did one Friday, and you think you, you know everything. The Olsen twins were in two different crosswords this week. I, I know. love to see it. I got that one right away. I was like, oh, Olsen, obviously. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, speaking of the New Yorker, did you, you did the Wednesday by Elizabeth Gorski? Oh, no. I did the Friday. Oh, Eric Agard. By Eric Agard, yeah. Very good. But you do yours first. Um. I just want to say, like, I loved the Elizabeth Skorsky puzzle from Wednesday. Today is the 5th. And the only thing I want to shout out is that I feel like I'm starting to finally remember what the Roman numeral system is. Like, mm-hmm. what letters represent what numbers. There is a clue, um, 39 across, Roman 1152. And I was able to, like, get it in. Like, wow, actually put it in. And I was like... You know, when Grace and I first started doing puzzles, whenever there'd be like Roman numeral ones, we'd be like, who here knows Roman numerals? <laughs> I know up to 10. Yeah, I, like I did too. I get confused at the hundreds and the thousands. I know yes. one is C and I don't, I'm not going to get into it. I, it's I'll fine. It's fine. Next time. <laughs> yeah. But go ahead. What, what else do you have? Oh, well, from the Eric Agard on April 30th in the New Yorker, uh, 59 across, Mr. Hyde or Hannah Montana. And the answer was alter ego. I just thought mm-hmm. those were too funny. ones to have next to each other um the clue that like spread the entire puzzle all the way down was seven down native gathering that defies colonial gender norms and it was two spirit powwow i love that um that's an amazing 15 word answer yes and if you don't know what two spirit powwow is definitely just take a a second to google it it's Mm -hmm. amazing interesting things you learn um that was a great puzzle yeah those were the two I had on my hits from those puzzles. But yeah, I really enjoyed the New Yorkers. They did good this week. Yes, they did. I did the Tuesday New York Times, May 5th by... Or sorry, May 4th. Oh, may the 4th be with you. Anyway. Um, <laughs> by Nina Sloan. And uh-huh. I really loved the theme. The theme was essentially like insulting candy names, which is kind oh, of fun. Yes. That, was, that was fun. So some examples. 23 across. Candy name with an... Candy with an insulting name. The answer was Goobers. And then... The clue repeated itself throughout. So 29 across was candy with an insulting name. 
and the answer was Airheads. Some other candies that made an appearance were Butterfingers, Slowpokes, and Dum Dums. Um, great. Love to see it. I didn't even realize that all of those could be insulting names. And I, I love that connection. Nerds. I thought that was going to show up in there. Oh, but that would have been a fun one to include. Um, yeah. But what was really cool about this was it was Nina's very first New York Times puzzle. So it was her New York Times debut. So congrats to Nina on that one. I liked it. I liked yes. it. I had some hits from that puzzle. I liked five down, fit on a hard drive, question mark, road rage. Oh, yes. And then 39 across, little bird of mine, question mark. And it was canary. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. That's all I have. That's all I have. (gasps) Okay. Let's fight about it. Uh, You know I will. But first, my dear friend, we must flip the coin. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm flipping the coin now. Tails. Me? Again? I feel like I'm back on my I'm back on my bullshit. She <laughs> is. <first. laughs> okay. My topic comes from the Wednesday, May 5th, New York Times, uh, by Bryce Huang and Raul Sridhar and Ash K. Ravi Kumar. Three people. Um Ooh. 35 across soap opera EG. And the answer? cereal okay you're talking about soap operas i am talking about soap operas oh yes (laughs) um ended up you know in my research i was like well is there that much to talk about this uh but there is so that's what i'm going to do all right but first things first do you know where the name soap opera comes from i wonder if it has something to do with like soap commercials or something i don't know yes basically. So before soap operas were on like daytime TV, they were broadcasted over the radio. This was back in the 1930s. Radio executives, they wanted to increase their ad revenue. So they reached out to businesses that sold household products. um, Since the majority of people who were like listening to the radio during the day were, you know, stay at home wives and mothers, homemakers. Um, So Procter & Gamble was the first major company to take them up on this offer, and they sponsored uh, one of these daytime radio dramas with their Oxidol soap powder, which was a laundry detergent. So pretty soon other soap and household goods manufacturers wanted in, and some, including Procter & Gamble, started to even produce their own, like, radio drama shows. So these radio dramas were associated with the soap and cleaning companies, hence the name Soap Opera. Okay. I knew it. It's all about money. Okay? Okay? Yes. Everything is about money. Um, but yeah, so basically they were just doing these live dramatic readings of these shows on the radio, which, I mean, I guess you really have to use your imagination for that. Oh, I guess that's how we listen to podcasts now. Right. Well, there's podcasts that are, you know, narratives. Yeah. Like Welcome to Night Val being the one that comes to mind immediately. So basically anyway. soap operas were the first podcasts, everyone. Okay. Um, but in 1949, soaps made the transition to television with These Are My Children. Not to be confused with All My Children. That's a different show. But okay. These Are My Children were written by Erna Phillips, who is the mother of soap operas. She will come up later. Yes. She also launched As the World Turns in 1956 and Another World in 1964. Ooh. So it's probably unsurprising that critics hated soap operas when they came out. Uh, Pathfinder News Magazine said, quote, last week television caught the dread disease of radio soap opera-itis, and a bunch of other publications shared the same sentiment. Um, But that didn't matter because they were were attracting tens of millions of viewers. 
every single episode. Mm. Housewives were home all day, um, and they had more free time now than they did before just because of technological advancements. Like, there's, you know, the electric washing machines, dryers, <laughs> so you didn't yeah, have to be, exactly. like, washing your clothes by Processed hand. Processed foods. They no longer had to slave over the stove cooking a chicken. They could do TV dinners for hubby. Exactly. Jello. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so they were basically like the driving force behind network revenue soap operas were. They were making all this money for all these different networks, even though they were basically canned by critics and, you know, more serious publications. Mm -hmm. And still, up until today, soap operas are often dismissed as trashy, melodramatic, and labeled as, quote, women's entertainment. Oh, I knew it was going to go in this yes. direction because anything women like, people like to shit on. Exactly. And I just want to say, I've never got, I never got into soaps. Like, I don't think I've ever watched a soap opera, only mm. like clips from other things. Did you ever watch them growing up? I did. I can't remember what they were called. Honestly, I think it was because I just really liked watching people kiss. So mm -hmm. I, I knew you could get, you could get characters kissing on soap operas. You can. That's why I liked Grease. Um, okay, <laughs> but... <clears throat> Many people are now arguing that soap operas are not only a legitimate art form, but they have shaped the entertainment industry as we know it today and changed TV forever. They introduced the idea of serial episodic dramas and inspired the dramas and twists of reality TV we know today. Hello? So I actually watched this documentary that ABC made called The Story of Soaps. Oh, and I cool. got a lot of information from th them and also an article on SmithsonianMag.com called For Seven Years, the Soap Opera Has Shaped American Pop Culture by Lorraine Ali. So Let's by 19, yes, by 1970, the three major networks were airing a total of 18 daytime soap operas. Um, and because soap operas, they are televised five days a week, 52 weeks a year. They do not take a day off. Um, they were less polished than like primetime TV shows at the time. Actors often ad-libbed. Productions were rushed. The sets were like minimally lighted. So it created a stagey look that was actually like pretty well suited to, you know, small black and white TV screens. And it heightened like the melodramatic uh, feel of everything. Mm -hmm. But many stories and structures of soap operas were invented by Erna Phillips, who I'd mentioned earlier. So um, in a lot of these different structures, we still see today in like dramatic primetime shows. For example, Ooh. the stories had a beginning, middle, but no end. Every episode needed to end on a cliffhanger, which we still see today a lot. Yes. She also invented the camera lingering on people's faces, extreme close-ups that add tension and heighten emotions. But more importantly than that, soaps told stories written by women for women. Oops. So, for example, in General Hospital, both the police chief and the head car cardiologist have been female. I love that. And soaps feature women, especially at that time, over 40, who were sexy and powerful, as opposed yes. to the Golden Girls, who were like 50 and dressed like grandmas. Right. Um, and then this is from the Smithsonian about soap plot lines. Quote, Cheating spouses, secret babies, evil twins, amnesia, ghosts, time travel, and vampires, not to mention the horrors of raising teenagers. No matter how outrageous, the twisting plots were grounded in the great American post-war preoccupations of family and romance. And unlike the flawless housewives on primetime, the women on the soaps were allowed flawed marriages, rotten kids, and successful careers. I love that. These women characters were actually being written by other women. Right. Um... Agnes Nixon created All My Children. She was another big player in the soap opera field. And she is the one who kind of had the idea to start writing about real world stories, like in real time. Mm. So this kind of led to soap opera storylines being pulled straight from the headlines. And since soap operas came out daily, they were apt to cover topical issues like this. 
So, for example, she wrote stories about the Vietnam War, people being drafted, people opposing it, people for it, etc. Another World, which is another soap opera name, dramatized a woman's decision to have an abortion in 1964, which was wow. nine years before Roe versus Wade. One Life to Live featured interracial romances in 1968, and gay characters appeared on the show in 1992. To put that into perspective, Will and Grace came out six years after that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the 1990s, General Hospital boldly confronted the HIV and AIDS crisis. And because the shows are on every day and they last for so long, like, you know, some of them are decades long, the watchers feel more connected to the characters and the actors. For example, the longest running soap opera is Guiding Light, which ran for 57 years. And General Hospital is still going on today and it's at its 55 year mark. So it wow. may surpass that. Um, some of the actors are on these shows forever too. So All My Children starred Susan Lucci for 41 years wow. and One Life to Live featured Erica Slezak for 42 years. Wow. Um, but I, so Rebecca Git, Gitlitz, Gitlitz, she did, she directed the documentary on ABC and she did an interview with Vulture magazine. Um, but she basically talks about how soap operas were able to stay under the radar and cover stories unlike other mediums due to, like, their daily episodes and their year-long plot lines. So she said, like, for example, really intense stories about murder or rape um, would be, like, bold and brash in primetime TV shows or in the news. But since soap operas air every day, they can kind of, like introduce these themes slowly and they kind of creep up on you she says quote on the soaps it was about somebody you and the other characters knew personally when the characters are people you've lived with for years and that you've invited into your living room five days a week the writers are able to tell bold stories in a toned down way that makes it all more human so some examples they gave in um the documentary i was watching was ones of, like kids coming out to their parents and stuff and it's like you think these people they've been watching the show for 10 years and they've known this kid for five years sure. you know you feel really connected to it and you kind of get to watch it like day by day kind of how wow. they process it um there's also like a generational tradition of watching soap operas so a lot of people in the documentary said like well i used to watch it with my mom when i was younger and then i kept watching it as i age and now i watch it with my own children mm-hmm. some famous Actors that have come out of soap operas are Alec Baldwin, John Stamos, Carol Burnett, Vivica A. Fox, John Hamm, and Brian Cranston, to name a few. Mm-hmm, there are mm-hmm. a bunch of them. And Hamm and Cranston said that their big shows like Mad Men and Breaking Bad are essentially soap operas. They're just more marketed to men and have bigger budgets because they're on primetime. Yes. 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 <laughs> so, in a Going with that, the interviewer at Vulture, Matt zoller Seitz, said, quote, So much fictional entertainment was tailored to the needs of straight men who preferred definitive stories with beginnings, middles, and ends, goals that were achieved or not achieved, and characters who either changed permanently or failed to. The soaps were truer to a woman's perception of life. Things are more open-ended, patterns repeat, people come into your life and go out of it, and some things never get resolved. Oh... I love yeah. this. I love this. I actually really love this. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, sadly, recently there has been a decline in soap opera popularity. So right now, only four soaps are still in existence. They are Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, The Bold and the Beautiful, and The Young and the Restless. Mm-hmm. There's a few reasons for this. One, more people work outside of the home now, so they're not around to watch daytime TV. Um, there's also more options now to watch TV with cable TV, streaming, VCR, Netflix. Like, you can basically watch whatever show you want at whatever time you want. 
but also the drama of soap operas has been replicated in reality TV shows in a way. Like Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Real Housewives, you get to watch these like crazy storylines unfold every week, um, you know, and watch these people grow up essentially, but this time it's with, with actual real people. Right. But they use a lot of the same techniques that soap operas use to like keep people watching the way right. they edit the shows and present the storylines. Wow, that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost makes me want to start watching a soap. I feel like I can't get into it now, though, because... <laughs> you probably can. I think you would probably be a great target for someone who wants someone to watch a soap. Like, you could probably get hooked. My roommate, sophomore of college, used to watch soaps because, yeah, she grew up watching them. And she was like, I have, she's like, I have to catch up on my soap. She's like, I've been watching these for, like, 10 years. I have to keep watching. <laughs> and so she would just, like, watch all the episodes for the week mm-hmm. at once. Um, Okay, I'm going to end with a quote from Rebecca Jitlitz, the director. Quote, Soaps are a feminist manifesto in a way. They were taken on by women. They told stories centered on women. Many of the key writers and producers were women. They were profitable, but they weren't considered a prestigious part of TV. So the network executives tended to leave them alone to do their thing. As a result of that, they became this oasis that reflected more of a woman's experience of life. Erna Phillips perfected a way of telling a story that impacted the rest of the medium. Love it. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Yes. And I, um, you know, I went to film school. I hate to say it, but I did indeed go to film school. And the melodrama genre mm-hmm. is also looked down upon, you know, by, you know, critics and like auteur cinema lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but melodrama speaks to women's issues. And speaks of the woman experience. Uh, And that's why these things are often looked down upon because they, they like butt heads with the male white straight canon Mm -hmm. that you see like winning awards, for instance. That's why it's such a big deal when you have a woman winning best director at the Oscars. I mean, we all hate the Oscars here. Just going to say it. But these things are really important Um, Mm -hmm. to kind of dismantle the patriarchy, etc., you know? We all have to start watching soap operas, people. That's yes. the takeaway here. What? So I literally feel like I'm watching soap operas because all I do now is watch K-dramas, and they mm-hmm. all have that kind of serial – well, not serial, but it's more like um, soapy-type elements of, like, these really, like, melodramatic plot lines and, like, these cliffhangers and, like, the drama is just so heightened. And, it, it, and I'm telling you. It's so much more fun than watching something like, I don't know, Breaking Bad. (laughs) Well, Brian Cranston, who started on soap operas, said that Breaking Bad is essentially a soap opera. And a lot of actors say that um, they learn so much from working on a soap opera because they have to film. I mean, they release an episode every single day. So they have to, they like, oh, this was so random that I found in my research. James Franco, in like the height of his popularity, wanted to work on general hospital oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) and so he was in general hospital randomly but he they said he was in like 20 episodes and he filmed it all in like three days all of his parts in three days um but yeah that's i mean they're it's like 12 hour 14 hour you're like a machine yeah and they don't have a lot of time like to do a bunch of takes it has to be really quick they have to memorize all their lines really quick but Mm -hmm. it's amazing to see like how many super famous actors have come out of that right it's very cool Mm mm-hmm Great topic, Grace. Moving right along, my topic comes from the Monday New York Times, May 3rd by Ross Trudeau. 71 across. Community facility that often has a gym and pool in brief. 
YMCA. We're going to be talking about the YMCA. Uh, I'm really excited about this topic. Um, I feel like I've been wanting to do this topic for a while, but I wasn't sure if there was going to be much to talk about. (laughs) Turns out there's a lot to talk about. So I really had to kind of narrow my focus. And by narrow my focus, I basically mean that uh, I just put a ton of information in my Word document and then slowly whittled out the stuff that I felt like I could delete. Um, So it's a little bit longer, but for good reason, I think there's a lot of interesting things we're going to learn today. I was, honey, I was shocked by some of this stuff. Okay. All right, let's do it. So we're talking about the YMCA. It's also sometimes called the Y. It's a worldwide organization currently based in Geneva, Switzerland. But it was founded in London in June of 1844 by a man named Sir George Williams. The organization was originally known as the Young Men's Christian Association with the goal of promoting Christian values while developing a, quote, healthy body, mind, and spirit, Mm -hmm. end quote. So who the hell is this Sir George Williams fellow, and why did he found the YMCA? I got a lot of my info from the YMCA website. They actually have a lot of, like, a really extensive history section, Mm -hmm. and there's some other places, whatever. If you're interested, let me know. But let's get into it. 1844, London. It is not a very easy place to live. Um, This was probably due to the rapid industrialization of both the city and the country. We're talking about, we're living through the Industrial Revolution right now. Tons of young men were moving from into the city from rural areas to find work. But London was kind of bleak. People were living in tenement housing. There was a huge disparity between the wealth brackets. Bad influences around every single corner. Mm-hmm. The founder of the YMCA, George Williams, was born in October of 1821. He's a Scorpio, in case you were wondering. Okay. And in 1841, he moved to London to work in a draper's shop called Hitchcock and Rogers. Williams was very aware of the industrialization happening throughout England and was appalled by the conditions young working men had to endure while living in London. The only modes of at- entertainment, according to Williams, was drinking, gambling, or going to brothels. And that was not okay. So, in June of 1844, Williams and 11 of his closest draping friends decided to create a place that would not tempt young men into sin. Ugh. And here we get the Young, Christ- the young Men's Christian Association, okay? okay? And the YMCA was supposed to be a, quote, refuge of Bible study and prayer for young men seeking escape from the hazards of life on the streets. Okay. Did you know this? I had no idea that the YMCA was originally a Christian organization. Well, I knew it was a Christian organization because I knew that's what the letter stood for. But I didn't know that they actually did, like, Bible study and stuff there. Oh, yes. They promoted a very specific type of Christianity known as muscular Christianity, which I could not do a deep dive into. I just could not. But I will read the one-liner from Wikipedia to give you a very, very basic understanding of what muscular Christianity is. If you're interested in it, Google it. So this is from Wikipedia. Muscular Christianity is a philosophical movement that originated in England in the mid-19th century, characterized by belief in patriotic duty, discipline, self-sacrifice, manliness, and the moral and physical beauty of athleticism. So it's like literal muscles. Yes. Yes, you do sports and pray to God priests have like six packs (laughs) (laughs) they're like bodybuilding right uh probably one of the most famous americans that was a muscular christian 
was none other than Teddy Roosevelt's. Though I'm pretty sure you thought I was going to say Benny Franks. Maybe Benny Franks was muscular Christian. I didn't realize Teddy Roosevelt was that muscular. I don't think he was muscular so much as he was just really manly and into being athletic and athleticism and like all that stuff. Okay, but show me a picture with his top off. (laughs) (laughs) I dare you. I wish I, I probably should have come prepared with that. So I apologize. It's fine. We can post on our Instagram if you find one. Cool. So yeah, in the early days, the YMCA was essentially a safe place for men to go that wasn't on the streets. They hosted lecture series, Bible studies. They even preached on the streets and handed out pamphlets. This concept of having a safe haven for men in various cities caught on kind of quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the city is their safe haven. I don't <laughs> really see like what. <laughs> oh, you gotta love it. Um, and some people attribute this like spreading of popularity due to the 1851 Great Exhibition that happened in London. You know, in Chicago, we had the World's Fair. It's mm-hmm. essentially the, the exact same thing, but in 1851 in London. By the end of 1851, there were YMCA's all throughout the United Kingdom, Australia, Belgium, Canada, France, Germany, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and the United States. The first ever YMCA in the United States was founded in Boston in December of 1851 by a retired Boston sea captain named Thomas Valentine Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Another important player to the expansion of YMCA's globally was a man named Henry Dunant. Dunant was a Swiss humanitarian and activist. He came from a Calvinist family. As an aside, I'm just going to say hashtag cancel John Calvin. Mm -hmm. Um, Back to scheduled programming. Do not co-founded the YMCA of Geneva in 1852, and he became a huge spokesperson for the YMCA, promoting the organization all over the world, visiting emerging chapters throughout Europe and North Africa. He also was in regular correspondence with nearly 30 YMCAs globally, updating them on what each chapter was doing. So he was really into this whole YMCA business, okay? Mm -hmm. In 1855... YMCA Paris was like, hey, we should hold an international meeting with other Francophone YMCAs. Dunant was like, hold on. No, no, no. I think that this international meeting should be more inclusive and not just for French-speaking nations. Uh, So Dunant was like, let's include representatives from England, Scotland, and Holland. And it was his enthusiasm that led to the first international YMCA conference held in Paris in 1855. And this is the beginning of the World Alliance of YMCAs, which is still around and meeting to this day. At this big international conference in 1855, the YMCA Alliance adopted what is known as the Paris Basis, which is essentially the mission statement for all YMCAs worldwide. Mm -hmm. These are the two tenets. One, respect the local autonomy of YMCA societies. And two, Unite all young male Christians for the extension and expansion of the kingdom of God. The YMCA by me was just a gym. <laughs> you know? It's shocking. I'm, this is why I'm like, okay, this is a little shocking. I didn't realize, like, I feel like I must have known that it stood for Young Men's Christian Association at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize how deep, like, the whole, like, kingdom of God Christianity thing ran Your in the YMCA. Your made it. You can't underestimate anybody's faith, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and then, of course, at this same international meeting, the YMCA adopted their motto, which comes from, uh, let's see if I can remember how to say this. The Book of John, Chapter 20, Verse... No, sorry, 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 sorry. The Book of John, Chapter 17, Verse 20. And it is this, quote, That they all may be one, 
end quote. Side side note, uh, this Dunant fellow went on to win the first ever Nobel Peace Prize for his role in founding the uh, Red Cross. So this guy was busy. Yeah, apparently. Making things happen. Changing the world. the Red Cross. Yes. And did all this with YMCA. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So big deal. Big deal. Okay. So there's like so much I can talk about with the YMCA, but I'm going to hit just some main key dates. I'm literally going to do like a timeline thing for you here, focusing okay. mainly on the American YMCA, but sometimes I'll talk about some international YMCAs. Just bear with me. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. The early days of the YMCA, I'm talking late 1800s was about promoting evangelical Christianity. They did this through weekday and Sunday services while also hosting athletic contests, as you do in the House of God. (laughs) Moving into the 20th century, the YMCA shifted into something a little bit more interdenominational rather than about a specific Christian organization. Okay, fine. So let's get into the dates. 1853. First YMCA for African Americans was founded by Anthony Bowen, who was a freed slave, and he founded this YMCA in Washington, D.C. In 1860, or in the 1860s, the YMCA started offering housing to young men moving from cities, moving to cities from rural areas. And I actually knew that one of the big things, like in the 60s into the 80s, was YMCA housing. Like you could actually go and have like affordable places to stay in these cities, mm-hmm. right? The lodgings were affordable safe, and they included things like gyms and auditoriums. The first ever YMCA dorm was actually in Chicago, and it was called Chicago's Farwell Hall. It was completed in 1867. It was in the loop. So I think the cross streets are Madison and Clark. Hmm. I don't think the building is there anymore, but that's where it was. And then uh, between 1922 and 1940, YMCA accommodations grew from approximately 55,000 rooms to more than 100,000 rooms. Some people who stayed at YMCA accommodations during their youth, Dan Rather, Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and Jack Kerouac, to name a few, all men. 1881. A Boston YMCA staffer named Robert J. Roberts, never trust a man with two first names, he coined the term, quote, bodybuilding and developed classes that were precursors to fitness workouts today. So this Robert J. Roberts person is apparently a huge figure in the history of bodybuilding, and he, like, t- coined that term while he was a YMCA instructor. Bobby Roberts. Bobby, Bobby J. Bob. Uh, and then in 1881, a man named James Naismith, which this is probably the most famous fact about YMCAs, uh, he was teaching physical education at the International YMCA Training School in Springfield, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. where he invented a new indoor winter game using a soccer ball and two peach baskets. Hmm. What sport is this? Basketball. He invented basketball, folks. Wait, really? I guess, yeah. In my mind, basketball's been around five ever, but... Yeah, no, he invented basketball. I'm sure there's, like, other versions of this game in other different cultures, but he is the person who wrote the first ever basketball rulebook. He invented this game, uh, and then, obviously... It exploded and he actually out became from a, there he became a coach at like the university of kansas or some crap anyway it did him a whole load of good that he came up with this game uh, and now yeah namesmith is known as the uh grandfather of basketball so good for you uh in 1866 miss ellen brown became the first female employee of the ymca she was a secretary in what was called the boys department i don't know what that means <laughs> Not only was she a secretary, but she also taught night classes. So that's kind of exciting. This was the first time that there was like a woman actually inside a YMCA building. Mm-hmm. 
in, uh, let's see, let's see, 1875, the YMCAs were established in San Francisco to serve the growing Chinese population, and the first Japanese YMCA was founded in 1917. In 1879, the first indigenous YMCA was founded by Thomas Wakeman uh, in South Dakota. Thomas Wakeman is from the Dakota Nation. So there's YMCAs for all different types of people Mm -hmm. uh, and all different types of ethnicity. Um, And then in 1890s, there was a YMCA instructor named William Morgan, and he thought basketball was too strenuous for businessmen, of course. So he blended elements of basketball, tennis, and handball and called his invention Mintonette. And by 1896, at the International YMCA Training School in Springfield, the name volleyball was first used to describe the back-and-forth manner in which the ball flew over the net. So yes, volleyball and basketball were both invented at your local YMCA. Who knew? I didn't. Also, racquetball was, but um, I didn't include that in my thing. But racquetball was also invented at YMCA. <laughs> I thought maybe it was going to be squash, because that sounds like something businessmen play. Right. Well, apparently racquetball was like a combination. Like some guy was like, I want to combine squash with this, that, and the other thing, and came up with racquetball. So what sports should we combine? Hmm. NASCAR. Soccer. But that's already a game on the PS4 called Rocket League, so maybe not. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 1893 was when we first start seeing large-scale evening classes. This was happening in the Boston YMCA. And by 1950, YMCAs operated 20 colleges in cities across the country. There's YMCA College? Yes. And there's YMCAs that pair with colleges and high schools as well. Mm -hmm. Remember, the YMCA is a Christian organization. I mean, it's fine. They're not like, I mean, I think temporarily they're not like shoving Christianity down people's throats. But their mission statement is based in, you know, whatever, something about the kingdom of God. So Mm -hmm. do with that what you will before you sign your toddler up for the free daycare. Okay. Okay, 1909. We're moving right along. A man named George Corsonen was a swimming enthusiast. He designed the first ever group swimming lessons at the Detroit YMCA. And according to the International Swimming Hall of Fame, Corson pioneered radical breathing methods, and he was the first instructor to teach beginning swimmers the crawl stroke instead of the breaststroke. So he, like, revolutionized how we teach people swimming. He, like, traveled all over the United States to all these different YMCAs and taught hundreds of thousands of boys how to swim. So, front good for him. There you go. Uh, in 1910, 25 African-American YMCAs were built across 23 cities. They actually won a grant from Sears founder Julius Rosenwald. These Ys included clean, safe dorm rooms and eating facilities, which were incredibly important to black travelers, especially servicemen, during like a discriminatory and segregated time. Mm-hmm. And many of these Ys, these YMCAs that were founded like for black men specifically, became really important meeting places and rallying points for the civil rights movement. Hmm. By the end of World War I, 62% of all YMCAs allowed female members. And by 1946, women made up 12% of YMCA membership. I have to pause here and also say that there is a different organization called the YWCA, which stands for the Young Women's Christian Association. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were founded in 1855 by Lady Mary Kennard and Emma Roberts. And I'm going to read just the one-liner from Wikipedia so y'all know about them. Okay. Quote, The YWCA is an organization working for the empowerment, leadership, and rights of women, young women, and girls in more than 100 countries. 
The members and supporters include women from many different faiths, ages, backgrounds, beliefs, and cultures. Their common goal is that by 2035, 100 million young women and girls will transform power structures to create justice, gender equality, and a world without violence and war, leading a sustainable YWCA movement inclusive to all women. That sounds good to me, but do they have a gym? Do they have a squat rack? (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Do they have a pool? What sports did they invent? You know, can I get buff at your organization? Because that's my, that's part of my faith, muscular religion. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, I will say that the YWCA is entirely independent of the YMCA. Oh. Although some YMCAs and YWCAs have merged to create YM slash YWCAs. They could have a catchier portmanteau, but... Yes, YPCAs, Young People's Christian Association. Yeah. YHCAs, Young Humans, whatever. Okay. So back to YMCAs. Mm-hmm. An interesting fact that I found was that during World War II, YMCA staffers secretly worked in the U.S. Japanese internment camps, organizing clubs and activities for children, and helping men get education from local colleges. I found that on two different YMCA websites. I could Mm -hmm. not corroborate it otherwise, but I thought that was interesting. And then uh, by 1967, racial discrimination was banned in all YMCAs. And this is the important thing that I want to talk about. Well... It's the second most important thing. The last thing I'm going to end on is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. This is the second most important thing. In 1998 is when they held the 14th World Council of YMCAs. It was held in Germany, and they adopted this thing called Challenge 21, which was intended to place more focus on global challenges like gender equality, sustainable development, war and peace, uh, and, you know, discuss the challenges of globalization. Uh, Oh, also they want to discuss, you know, fight racism and HIV and AIDS. So this is what they were talking about in 1998. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read you what the the Challenge 21 was about. So here's a quote. Challenge 21 is, quote, affirming the Paris basis adopted in 1855 as the ongoing foundation statement of the mission of YMCA. At the threshold of the third millennium, we declare that YMCA is a worldwide Christian voluntary movement for women and men with special emphasis on and the genuine involvement of young people and that it seeks to share the Christian ideal of building a human community of justice with love, peace, and reconciliation for the fullness of life for all creation. Okay. And after that, they created seven key principles that YMCAs must follow. And they are this. One, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and striving for spiritual, intellectual, and physical well-being of individuals and a wholeness of communities. Okay. So we're sticking with the muscular Christianity. Yeah. I just like, I don't know. I mean, the YMCA by me was just a gym. I feel like they weren't saying any of this stuff. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. Well, I, I don't think they're really like trying to preach this stuff to you i mean if you're looking for it you could probably find it mm-hmm. but i they're obviously not holding bible studies i mean maybe you can like rent a room at the ymca and like host a bible study but i really mm-hmm. don't think that that's what like your local y is doing necessarily maybe it's different in more religious or christian areas but like yeah. who knows so that was just the first tenet number two empowering all to take increased responsibility and assume leadership at all levels and working towards an equitable society 
I can I get can, behind that. I can F with that. Three, advocating for and promoting the rights of and upholding the rights of children. Yes, I'm all for that. Four, fostering dialogue and partnership between people of different faiths and ideologies and recognizing the cultural identities of people and promoting cultural renewal. I can F with that. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, is this four or five? I don't know. Here's the next one. Committing to work in solidarity with the poor, dispossessed, uprooted people, and oppressed racial, religious, and ethnic minorities. Okay. Yes. The next one. Seeking to be mediators and reconciles in situations of conflict and working for meaningful participation and advancement of people for their own self-determination. Okay. And the last one. Defending God's creation against all that would destroy it and preserving and protecting the Earth's resources for coming generations. To face these challenges, YMCA will develop patterns of cooperation at all levels that enable self-sustenance and self-determination. Well, hey, I mean, if they're fighting global warming, I don't care why they're doing it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I mean, you know, I think some of those are, like, really admirable. Mm -hmm. It is a global organization, and I'm sure there's lots of money being funneled in and out of the YMCA. So, like, obviously, like, just follow the money before you, like, make donations to different places. But I wonder what their tax classification is. Are they a religious organization? So they're automatically uh, a nonprofit and they don't have to file, like, other nonprofits that aren't religious organizations have to do to prove that they're actually nonprofits? These are great questions. And that is something I probably should have been researching. Mm-hmm. But instead... Instead, I was researching <laughs> the queer diversity of the YMCA's. Like, that's what I really wanted to end on and focus on at this last little segment here. Okay. Uh, because we cannot, Grace, overlook the queer anthem, YMCA, by the village people. Okay? Exactly. We cannot. I'm going to read you some lyrics. Just in case you forgot, these are the opening lyrics of YMCA by the village people. Quote, Young man, there's no need to feel down. I said, young man, pick yourself off the ground. I said, young man, because you're new, you're in a new town. There's no need to be unhappy. Young man, there's a place you can go. I said, young man, when you're short on your dough, you can stay there and I'm sure you will find many ways to have a good time. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. It's fun to stay at the YMCA. They have everything for you men to enjoy. You can hang out with all of the boys. Hmm. Hmm. That's suspicious. <laughs> That's weird. Okay, so have you seen the YMCA music video, like, ever? I think I have. Yeah, because they're all dressed up in different costumes. Yes, well, that was the whole village. The village people, like, that was, like, their vibe. Like, they were yeah. like that for every song. But I w- rewatched it again today. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Like, first of all, the camera work... The, the acting, the the costumes, just, like, the energy of being in, like, the village and, like, seeing these men. Some of them were gay. Some of them were straight. Just, like, doing their thing, doing the YMCA. Like, everyone's got mustaches because they needed to be kind of, like, hunky and, mm-hmm. like, a, like, attractive to gay men. Like, that was kind of, like, the whole vibe that the village people were going for. But, yes, just rewatch it. It's amazing. In the actual video, they feature a specific YMCA, and the song is talking about a very specific YMCA. Uh, It is called the McBurney YMCA, and it's in Chelsea, New York City. Randy Jones was the cowboy 
in the village people. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> of course. Um, and when he moved to New York City in 1975, he joined the McBurdy YMCA. He took the village people's producer, a man named Jack Morali, to the McBurney Y a couple times. And Morali was super impressed with the facilities. One of the main reasons he was impressed was because Morali was a gay man. And while he was at the Y, he and Jones would occasionally run into some of the biggest names in the gay adult film industry. And Morali was like, I fuck with this. This is amazing. Like, the people that I'm watching in porn are, like, here at your Mm -hmm. local Y. Like, I love this. Also, you have a gym. This is great. And so, the story goes, this inspired Morali to take the atmosphere for the YMCA and turn it into a song. Which is kind of cool. There's this author, Paul Groth. And Paul Groth wrote, Living Downtown, the History of Residential Hotels in the United States, and said that people staying in residential hotels like the YMCA were usually Mm -hmm. in their 20s and 30s uh, and a mix of white collar and blue collar, and they were both ethnically and racially diverse. There could also be seniors and veterans there. And Groth estimates about half the men renting in residential hotels during the 70s were gay. Hmm. Well, that's probably... I mean, that makes sense because those people who you know, couldn't find housing otherwise. For sure. Also, during World War I and after, there were a lot of moral reformers happening on vice squads like the Society for the Suppression of Vice and the Committee of 14. And these groups were interested in addressing homosexuality as a specific societal problem that they needed to stop. Author George Chauncey, who wrote Gay New York, said that these vice squads would, quote, raid places where homosexuals gathered, including various theaters, bathhouses, streets, and saloons. Chauncey goes on to say that gay men had to move to different spots for, like, intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the main places that they moved were, like, residential hotels like the YMCA. Mm -hmm. Here's a quote from Chauncey. Quote, Just as important, and more ironic, given the reformer's intention, was the crucial role the hotels often played in introducing young men to the gay world. It was at the Y that many newcomers to the city made their first contact with other gay men. Well, well, well. Turntables, (laughs) they didn't see that coming. How the turntables have tied it, okay? And yeah, so YMCA's throughout New York City became known as like cruising places for gay men because it gave these men a chance to escape from a society that was increasingly hostile to them. And of course, these hotels and YMCA dorms had their own issues and men were still subject to penalties if they were discovered. Managers of YMCA's would implement restrictions for gay men who lived there and even went so far as to limit who they could interact with and what they could do with other residents or visitors. Um, These limitations basically... Even though, like, a, like a residential hotel or like a YMCA felt more of like a respite for some gay men, mm-hmm. they were still like forced to be discreet and forced to hide themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Which is entirely related to the whole YMCA song because they're not explicitly talking about being gay in the YMCA song, right? Yeah. The man who wrote the song, the producer Jack Morali, he was writing it through like a gay lens. But mm-hmm. there were members in the, the village people who were like, I didn't think it was gay. And there were other members of the village people who were like, it was fucking gay. It was gay. Of course it was gay. Most of our listeners were gay. You know? Yeah. So it's this interesting duality. I mean, it does sound like a legitimate, you know, advertisement to stay at the Y. Gay it or really not. <laughs> it's true. I kind of like want to stay at a Y now. Who knows? 
I'm going to end with a quote from Karen Tongson, who is a queer studies scholar and associate professor of English and gender studies at the University of Southern California. And Tongson says of both the song and like the YMCA organization in general, quote, A lot of queer expression has happened through innuendo. That's essentially how queer popular culture has existed, as something that could be read in multiple ways. There is a sense of having to be able to communicate with each other in plain sight, but without having other people figure it out. So, well, what a roller coaster. Right? So we're going from evangelical Christianity to cruising at the Y. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have whiplash because some of the things I'm like, yes, that's great that they're doing that. And then other things I'm like, well, wait, why is it like that? But then but I'm wait, like, but there's if more. a lot of people found help in the YMCA, then I guess it's, you know, overall a good thing. And do you know now if women can stay there now or is it still only men can stay? I believe um, they're probably women in men's dorms, but I believe that it, not all Ys still have the dorm aspect mm-hmm. that actually fell out of popularity in the 80s, I believe, when lots of cities were going through like these huge like redevelopment or re like industrialization. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of like the Ys had to like close down their dorms. But there are cities and there are places that still have like youth hostels, so you can like go and like stay there. You, we could actually look them up and see if you could find like youth hostel YMCA's in whatever cities you're traveling to. They might be cheaper than regular hostels. I mean, I think obviously that's a good resource to have affordable, safe housing for anyone, but. Right. Well, I learned a lot. Thank you. I know, right? But it is, it is whiplash. And I honestly couldn't, I'm sure that there's lots of questions that have been raised. Like you said, like, what's their tax bracket? Like, how Christian are they still? Like, is their programming Christian? Like, I couldn't really get into that because I really just wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about the village people. And I also just wanted to get through the big history things Mm -hmm. like, yes, volleyball, basketball, etc. Yeah. So yeah, that that's it. That's all I got for you today. I also didn't realize they were an international organization. For some reason I I thought it was like a super American thing. It feels very American and I want I I maybe wonder why. Because of the village people? I don't know. Or maybe we're just so <laughs> what's like self centered that we yes. don't realize that <laughs> Right. Well we, we definitely f- you know Americans have this this trait where the things kind of revolve around them. Yeah. I really try not to live that way, but it it's just part of the culture. I try to live outside of myself, but sometimes you're just like, wait, other countries have YMCAs? <laughs> no, it actually started somewhere else. Right. Oh, well, at least the first step is admitting that you're a jerk. <laughs> yes. So. Oh, cool. last random fact. The Sir mm-hmm. Williams, George Williams fellow... Mm -hmm. Uh, who founded the YMCA is the great-great-grandfather of Boris Johnson. So do with that what you will. Wow. Look at that. (laughs) It's all connected, folks. And on that note, thank you for listening. Yes, thank you. Um, If you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at The Good Eve Girls. Or Instagram at The Good Evening Girls. Or TikTok at The Good Eve Girls. We're a lot of laughs. We have a lot of laughs. Yes, occasionally. Yeah, we'll see. We have occasionally <laughs> a lot of laughs. Um, but I guess until next week, stay safe out there. Oh, yes. Practice your Christianity and your stretch your muscles, okay? You <laughs> Watch your All of our listeners better be <laughs> ripped by the, next, by the time we have a meetup. All right, folks. It's been yeah. real. See you Bye-bye. next time. Bye-bye.